Oh, me. Well, good morning. If you don't know me already, I'm Jacob Workman. I'm the, I'm the youth pastor uh, for, for the, just for the summer. Um, and if you're a guest, I want to personally welcome you to coming to Trenton Baptist. We have a lot of guests that came to listen to me speak today. Uh, and for the members, though, as well, the people who are here every week, thank you all for being here. It means, it means a lot to me knowing that I can have a, a church who's full of smiles that I can preach to. Um, so part of me being the youth pastor is that Greg said he would give me time to preach. So ultimately, my, my calling's not in youth at the moment. It's changed about four times, I feel like. So I'm not setting anything in stone, but I feel called to, to preach eventually. I don't know when or where that will be. So it's good for me to be able to get pulpit time. The last time I preached was actually uh, here. So thank you again. Thank you just for coming and supporting me. Thank you for my family and old friends and new friends. Uh, thank everybody for being here. So the, the book that we're going to be out of is going to be in the book of Jude. Now, Greg has given me three times to preach this summer. I'm going to try to get through the book of Jude in three sermons. Um, it's only a chapter. It's not very long. But it's going to be a... Uh, it's going to be a stretch because I'm only getting through the first four verses today. So, many scholars consider the book of Jude to be the most neglected book in the New Testament. Now, this is for a couple of reasons. One of it is that it's just odd nature. And when I'm, what I mean by that is it quotes from the book of Enoch and it alludes to the assumptions of Moses. Now, what are those? Those are apocryphal books. So, apocrypha, all that means it's it's books that may be true, they may have a lot of truth in them, but they're not inspired. They're not part of our scripture. So Jude quotes from these. Now, we're not getting into that this week. That will be in weeks to come, so we don't want to pay too much attention to that now. But the real reason that this book is so neglected is because it speaks of a concept that is alien to many in the world today. And that concept is, and I quote, that the Lord will certainly judge evil intruders who are attempting to corrupt the church. Judgment's going to come. So the reason this is alien to us is because in our day and time, judgment is seen as intolerant. Now, it's always seemed intolerant to those who are going to fall into judgment. But it's seen as maybe a contradiction to passages in other parts of the New Testament that highlight God's love. Well, God's love and God's judgment cannot be separated. Judgment is truth. So as long as I have breath to preach, wherever that may be, and as long as Brother Greg preaches and preaches at this church, a love for truth is going to be prioritized above all else. That truth will be proclaimed. That truth will not be our truth, but it will be the truth revealed to us by God in His Word. So this truth is God's truth. So turn with me to the book of Jude, as many of y'all have. But before we get started, I want to take a time to explain to you the way that I'm going to preach. It's a style that I'm going to preach. Um, it's my conviction, and conviction just meaning it's my strongly held belief that's rooted in Scripture, that the, the way to uh, correctly deliver the message to the church is through what is called expository preaching. Okay, so this is, this is what Brother Greg does on, on a every week. And for that, this church ought to be thankful. I am thankful for that. So expository preaching, it's taking the passage of Scripture and explaining what it means 
by what it says. So in other words, what Greg does, Brother Greg does, and what I'm going to do today is we're letting the text determine the truth. I'm not putting my own truth in there. I'm not reading things into this text. This text is determining what I'm going to say. So like I said, last time I preached here, uh, which was the last time I preached, I began making a habit of, a, a, it's a statement that I'm making that I hope will I'll carry throughout my whole ministry, wherever that may be and how long that may be. And the statement is this, do not take my words as your authority. Rather, take my words and put them in the light of Scripture and let Scripture be your only authority. Test my words by God's word. And I mean that. I want you to test my words by God's word. So we're going to dive into the first four verses. Um, so follow along with me as I read these. In verse 1, it starts out in saying, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, Your words, they're sweet to us. Psalms 119 says, Though your precepts, or through your precepts, we get understanding. Therefore, we hate every false way. Lord, let us hate the false ways that lead us away from you. Let us hate the, the teachings that compromise your gospel. Let these words today that I read convict the believers in this room. Let the words drive us to the feet of Christ. Lord, your, your word is reproof to our lives. We believe that if we turn at your reproof, that you will pour out your spirit on us. Make your words known to us today, Lord. Your words humble us. Your word removes the scales from our eyes that our sin has blinded us with. Lord, we believe that your word is inspired. We believe that your word is without error. We believe that the book of Jude is useful in our lives today. Lord, humble my heart as I bring these, uh, these words to your sheep. Amen. So as in every epistle, an epistle just meaning a letter to the church, the author names himself. And it says in verse 1, and I quote, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now, this can get a little bit tricky. We know that the author is Jude, but there's eight Judes that are mentioned in the New Testament. So which Jude is this one? Well, it tells you later on, he is the, he's the brother of James. So those are, there are eight Judes. We know that this Jude is the brother of James. Well, that doesn't really clear up anything else because there's multiple Jameses that are mentioned in the New Testament. But he leaves us a little bit of a hint. There's no other name behind the book or behind the name of James. He's just the brother of James. There's only one James that's in the New Testament that needs no further introduction than that. And that's James who wrote the book of James. That's James 
the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Okay? So this makes Jude the half-brother of Jesus Christ as well. So the first question that I came to when I, when I was reading this is, why might Jude refer to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ rather than the half-brother of Jesus Christ? Why might he do something like that? Now, there's two ways to look at it. In one hand, you have, he's being humble. Jude is, he's humbling himself. He doesn't, he doesn't want to give off any appearance that he thinks he's better than anybody else because he's the half-brother of Christ. He doesn't want to give off any appearance that maybe he has a higher standing in the kingdom of God because he's a half-brother of Christ. So that, that is a way to look at it, and I believe that's partially right. But what I have in my other hand is, is my argument that I believe is true. So I'm going to propose this to you today, and I want you to, uh, to listen to it. I think it's the most accurate reading of the first verse of the book of Jude. So let me make my case. So there's going to be one word that I'm going to lever my whole argue, argument with. This word is the third word in the whole book. So look back at that word with me. It says, Jude, a servant. So the word is servant. Now, I'm reading out of the ESV. Greg does as well. And I would imagine that most of your versions in y'all's Bibles, uh, they translate to the same thing. And I'm not, I'm by no means well-versed in the original language. This was written originally in Greek. Um, but I do know what the word servant is. And the word servant in, in Greek is the word doulos. Okay, doulos. Now, according to the three uh, different scholars that I've read on this subject, this is not the most accurate translation. The most accurate translation is not servant, but it's, it's slave. Slave. So doulos, it means slaves. So in other words, we could read the verse again, verse 1, reading it this way, would say, Jude, a slave to Jesus Christ. So that argument that I was just holding my hand, let's go back to that argument Jude does not refer to himself as a brother in Christ, partially, or as a half-brother in Christ, partially because he is being humble. That's part of it. And we don't want to separate that. But he, he's making something else. He's making another statement. By him being, calling himself a slave, he's saying that he's speaking with authority. Now, how on earth can a slave speak with any type of authority? If slave is what we understand slave as, they have no authority, right? Now, to understand this in its entirety... We got to go back. We got to go back to the first century, um, and we got to understand what slavery was in the first century. And not just that, but it, it helps us to understand what slavery was in Rome. So the term "slave" to Jude, uh, they understand this as a position of slave. Um, but these, this author, or he uses as many other authors do, they use "slave" in a way that they're saying, "This is who I belong to." Right? If you're a slave to somebody, you belong to that person. And we know about slavery in the Roman Empire, and this furthers our understanding. Slaves during the reign of Rome, especially slaves that were owned by Rome, the empire themselves, they held all types of authority. So though their social status was still slavery, they held no social status. Uh, they, they did hold authority. So let me explain this in a, in a different way. So imagine, imagine Caesar. We all know of like the Caesars, the Caesar Augustus or somebody like that. If he had a slave, that slave could do things on his behalf. Why could he do things on his behalf? Because he has authority given to him by Caesar himself. Now let's take that and let's apply that to Jude. By Jude calling himself a slave, he's not saying I'm a nobody. He's not saying I have no social status. What he's saying is 
I am representing Christ. And may the words that I write down be equal to that of Christ. Just like a slave who was to Caesar, they could have authority given to them. Jude has authority given to them by Christ. So let's look at the second half of verse 1. It says, To those who are called and kept for Jesus Christ. So the first half of the verse was telling us who wrote the book. The second half of the verse 1 is telling us who is it written to. And that's the called. So what might the called mean? Might it be the world? Is this a universal calling that we see in Scripture? Is it the universal calling that we may see in passages such as John 3.16? Well, that wouldn't make much sense when you're looking at the context of this. So the, the term, the called, it's deeper than this, that. It's deeper than a universal calling. We as English speakers, oftentimes we like to interpret called as invited. We, use, we see those as synonymous. But as Tom Schreiner, who's actually one of my professors at uh, seminary, uh, in his commentary, he said to understand this word as invited, it radically misunderstands and misrepresents what Jude is explaining. The ones who are called are the ones who come. The ones who, in this sense, the ones who are called are the ones who drop everything, like the disciples did, and followed Christ. So we know many will hear the gospel, but some we're going to hear and believe, right? This is the ones that are called the called in Jude. So then it becomes clear to us that the people that he's referring to are the Christians, it's not people outside of the church. It's the Christians, the genuine believers who are in the church. These Christians have been called, and they are loved by God. And those who are called, as it says, are being kept for Christ. So, it brings us to two more questions that we have to answer. The first question is, who was loved by God? And the second question is, who are we being kept for? So we're going to answer both of these questions and we're going to answer them with an explanation. So the first question, who are those that are loved by God? And that, that answer is simple. In fact, we already have the answer. We, we just answered it. Those who have been called, they're the ones who are loved by God. Now, this is not a new theme in Scripture. If you trace all the way back through redemption history, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you see this over and over and over again. Who were those that God loved in the Old Testament? It was Israel. Who was, who was that that God called in the Old Testament? It was Israel. The calling of God and the love of God, they can't be separated. And we ought not separate them. So with that being said, who are those in which God loves now? And the answer is those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. So I want you to look at this and I want you to pay attention to this. God loves those whom He has called. God loves those which are His. This is the same from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Nothing has changed. A lot of times we like to separate Old Covenant and New Covenant, but the way that God saves is the same. Those who God calls are given a saving faith that saves them. Those who are called by God are His. So what Jude is doing here is he's highlighting an essential portion of the gospel. So what is he highlighting here? 
He's highlighting that God is gracious. He's highlighting the grace of God. The grace that his called receives, it depends not on their worthiness, but on the worthiness of that who has saved us. So this brings us to our second question. The first question, who are those that are loved by God? It's the church today. It's those who are Christians. The second question is, who are we kept for? And again, the, the answer to this question is quite easy as well. It's, it's right there. We are kept for Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. So we're kept for Jesus Christ, but who is keeping us? This is also the Father. The Father is keeping us by, and look at verse 2 again, by His mercy, peace, and love. So this, the mercy, peace, and love, that's not a random order of Christian words that Jude decided to throw in. The end of the greeting holds deep importance to the rest of the letter, in which we're going to explain later on in, in coming weeks. But these three words are what I want to point out today. These three words, they're essential to those who are slaves, or as the version says it, servants of Jesus Christ. These are essential to them. So let's look at verses 3 and 4 again and follow along as I read that again. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about your common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into the sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude was not intending to write this letter. He says that right there in verse 3. He was, not in, he was intended to write a letter, but not the, the letter that he ended up writing. He found it necessary because those who were perverting the truth, it says, they have crept into the church. So we come into a parallel now. We have a parallel 1 in verses 1 and 2, and 2nd, in verses 3 and 4. In this hand, on this side, in verses 1 and 2, we see what a slave to Jesus Christ will begin to look like. Well, on the other side of the parallel, we see the opposite of that. And if you're not a slave to Christ, you're a slave to sin. Brothers and sisters, these are the only two options. Um, they, these, are the, these are the only two options presented to us to Scripture. So the question that I want to pose right now is, what are you slaves to? Are you a slave to sin? Or are you a slave to Christ? So Romans 6, this is not new to Jude. Romans 6 presents kind of this in the same way. The way that he explains it is, you're either slaves to sin or you're slaves to righteousness. Same way. We're not our own. We see that through Scripture. We like to think that we're our own, but we're not. We never were. From the beginning, we were created by God. We hold no authority in our life. We didn't create ourselves. I can't breathe breath into my lungs. I don't keep myself alive. We can't even come to God on our own. We needed a middleman or a mediator. So what holds the authority in your life today? As men and women who sin because we're sinners, and that's an important distinction, we're born sinful, we sin because we're sinners, the answer's not a nice one. We're slaves to our desires. We're slaves to sin. We're slaves to the desires that are of our heart that are so set against God that we would never turn to Him. Our sinful desires 
are the authorities in our lives. So look at verse 4 again with me. It says, or let's look, as we're reading verse 4, let's look at the fruits or maybe some attributes that slaves to sin will have. Verse 4 says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this type of condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. The word crept indicates two things. It indicates, number one, that they were part of the church, right? They didn't just barge right in the front. They crept in. Well, how do they creep in? How do they become part of the church? How do these false teachers get in? They hid themselves. They hid themselves behind. They hid behind a false character. They, they weren't hiding their true self, or they were hiding their true self. And they were manipulative. Or manipulative. Those are, those are two things um, that slaves to sin will do. Brothers and sisters, I want you to examine yourself right now. This, is, this, is a, this should be a warning to us. Do you manipulate people? Do you, man, do you manipulate to hide maybe your true character? Do you put on a, a show that's not really you? This is a warning that we don't do this, but this is also a warning for those who do, uh, do hide their character. Those who hide their character, they can't hide it for long. Slaves to sin cannot hide their master. Slaves to Christ, like Jude, he reflected who his master was in the same way a slave to sin, they're going to reflect their master. Examine yourself. It goes on to say, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who were long ago designated for this type of condemnation. Now that long ago designated for this condemnation, that's kind of a confusing statement. What could that mean? Well, the meaning of the phrase is actually debated among scholars. One side of the argument believes that it's referring to prophecies that were in Second Peter and that were fulfilled in the book of Jude. Um, I don't hold to that one. But others believe that this is a future judgment that's coming, right? So this is going to be like the end times judgment. They're going to be condemned. And this is the one, that's the one that I do hold to, I believe. That's what it's talking about. But nevertheless, the two sides, they, they believe the same thing. The first thing that they believe is that God is not thwarted uh, by false teachers in this church. Okay? It, does not take an, or it doesn't take our omniscient, omniscient meaning all-knowing, it doesn't take our God by surprise. Both sides believe that. And secondly, the ungodly, they'll be punished for their ungodly deeds. There again, this, this should be a warning for those who are slaves to sin as well as those who are slaves to Christ. Examine yourself. The verse goes on to say, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. What could that mean? Well, the first thing I want to point out is this is still widely seen today. This is not something that was in first century. This is today. What is it referring to? What does it mean to, per to pervert the grace of God? So, as you all know, and as I mentioned before, and the last time I preached here, I am a seminary student, uh, and that means one thing. That means I'm allowed to give a big seminary word uh, that I learned. So, it's a word that I can say, but it's a word that you can bet that I cannot spell. It's a, it's a big word, and the word of today is antinomianism. Antinomianism. So this is who's referring to. So what does antinomianism mean? It's a really easy, easy concept, just a big word. It's the opposite of legalism, okay? So if you were had to scale, and you were to put legalism on this side of the scale, 
Those who hold to legalism in their extreme state would say that you have to follow the law to be able to get into heaven. Well, we, we know that that's not true because Christ, he, he fulfilled the law, right? We're not bound to law. So we, we're familiar with that term. Now, antinomianism, the opposite end of it, is saying that these are the people who tend to say, I can do whatever I want because I've been saved by grace. So they're not holding to the law. They're holding to no law. They're lawless. They do nothing. They sin. They don't care. That's what antinomianism is. This is what Jude is combating in, in this uh, first four verses and the rest of the book as well. What antinomian, antinomianism goes down or boils down to is a cheap grace. You don't understand the payment that was paid for this. So we all lean to one side of that scale. I personally, I lean more to the legalism side. That's not right. Some people lead to the antinomian side. That's not right. The point that I want to make is we do have all, we all have leanings. We all tend to lean to one side. But we're not called to balance ourselves out. So since I lean to legalism, that doesn't mean that I need to dabble in a little bit of sin here and there. And those who dabble in a sin, that doesn't mean that they need to hold themselves to standards that they, that, that they won't ever meet and don't believe, or they believe that they can be saved by works. What we're supposed to do, and the way that we, we balance ourselves out, is that we, we don't lean to either side. We lean on God, and we lean on the grace of God in that. We fight sin, we lean on His grace, and we seek a balanced diet of the whole counsel of God. This is how we're constant contenders of the faith. So those who are slaves to sin, they pay no attention to the sin in their life. The antinomians, the people who he's combating, they don't care about the sin in their life. Those who believe themselves to be Christians a lot of times, but there aren't, they don't pay attention to sin in their life. Brothers and sisters, young Christians and mature Christians, if you've been a Christian for a year, if you've been a Christian for 50 years, examine yourself. We're not over that. We have to, we're called to examine ourselves. The grace of God is not cheap. The grace of God came with a great price. The verse ends with acknowledging that these people did not see the Lord as their master. So let's look at the evidence. Look at what Scripture is teaching us. We're all slaves, or we were all slaves to sin. Some of us still are. We were all slaves to our own desires. Some of us still are. Many in the church today, they've crept into leadership positions like Jude, and they're not Christians. They're slaves to sin. They're not slaves to Christ. Some have creeped into the pew every week, and they're still slaves to sin. And let me remind you, this won't last forever. You can't hide your true character for long. You're going to reflect who your master is. The desires of your heart, those sinful desires, they're going to come to light. So Christians, again, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Are you showing attributes of someone who would be a slave to sin rather than a slave to Christ? You may not recognize you're a slave to sin. You may be sitting in the pew right now saying, I have no idea who I'm a slave to. If that's the case, pray for mercy. Pray that the Lord will open or show you your desires and He will open your eyes are your desires to glorify God? Or are your desires to maybe fulfill these demands that you have in your life? Your desires. 
Examine yourself. So this letter, it was, it was written to the beloved, or as we found out, the Christians. But don't think for one second that the Christians who received this, they were too foolish to examine themselves in the light of the words that Judah just wrote, them, wrote to them. When you encounter Scripture, you go one or two ways. You're either hardened or you're softened. You don't stay stagnant. We never come to Scripture and stay in the same place. It's one or the other. Do not become hardened to the Word of God. Do not become hardened to His truths. So now I want to address the unbeliever. I want to also address the nominal Christian, the Christian who shows up every week, maybe even on Wednesdays, but they're still slaves to sin. They still care about the desires, their desires, and care nothing about Christ. Let me tell you right now that number one, judgment's coming. Judgment is real. Judgment is truth. I said that in the beginning and we're going to preach it. But also, the day of salvation is today. Those who are slaves to sin, let me tell you about a master that will pay the price to buy you. And not just any master, but a master that gives you mercy, peace, and love as we saw in verse 2. A master who he says in his own words, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This master says, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The slave to sin is a heavy that's a heavy master. That master puts, puts so much guilt on you. This master says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That you'll find rest for your souls. You're a slave to something. There's no way around it. Brothers and sisters, I want you to count the cost today. The master of sin, it brings with it something. And what it brings to it is death. Christ, the master of Christ, he brings with him life and salvation. Put your arrogance away and examine yourselves, brothers and sisters. Even if you think you don't need to be examined, examine yourself. But don't examine yourself, just examine yourself through the lens of Scripture. Not against anybody else, not against anybody else who's in this church. Put your life up against against Scripture. Who is your master? Would you pray with me? Lord, your, your words tell us that a wise son hears his father's correction. Lord, let your children heed your correction today. Lord, as we and as I examine myself, Expose in my life the sin that has once enslaved me. Lord, remove the heart of stone in me and replace it with a heart of flesh. Father, we believe these truths. We believe these truths that we've read today in your word. We believe that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to you. God, we believe that you will return one day. And you're going to bring judgment on the false teachers and those who are set against you. Father, in your mercy, 
save us from your wrath on that day. Lord, we believe that we're being kept for the begotten Son. We believe that we're being kept for Christ. Sustain us, Lord. Sustain me, lest I fall away from you. We bless your name, and we rejoice at the sound of your gospel. Have mercy on us, Lord. Amen.